Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with Oakley and CT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let the person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like outing. Join the conversation. Call 0818 Morning. How was it going? We all well? Good. More ducks. <laughs> this is good. Remember last week we were talking to the guards in Bishopstown. Yes, the guards in Bishopstown were on the phone with me about ducks that wandered into the station. Mammy and ten ducklings. No one, <laughs> even the detective branch, can't at this stage tell where those ducks with their mammy came from last week in Bishop's Home. Just a message in this morning. 16 ducklings and a mammy duck came down Patrick's Hill Saturday night about half past ten. What's going on with all that? Now, whatever about Bishop's Town, where they think there's a body of water maybe 500 yards away from the Garda station and etc, etc, etc. Where on earth were they coming from if they were coming down Patrick's Hill on Saturday night at half past ten? Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. I'll talk later about Drew Harris and what the Garda Commissioner was saying yesterday about Garda numbers in the city. He was saying, look, there's no point in lashing out more money for overtime. You just know but very tired people. That's his point. He said the problem isn't money. The problem is getting people into the force. I took a look at the Garda pay scale and I tell you now, I don't think I'd be joining on that kind of money in the current climate. That's later on this morning. But first of all, have you been into your local Iceland of late? I was in there, I think, was it Wednesday or Thursday of last week? Myself and the boy would visit it occasionally. There's one or two things we can get in Iceland that I haven't been able to find other other places. We're, we're particularly partial, both of us, to a can of tango orange and haven't been able to get in slabs in Iceland. Haven't been able to get anywhere else. And there's one or two other little things that you pick up there. I wouldn't, if I spent a tenner in a visit, it's an awful lot or 20 quid at absolute most. But I, I've noticed it's the Iceland on Douglas Road that I would pop into from time to time. And I noticed the other day when we were in there, a lot of the fridges had the shutters down on them and some of the shelves were, were 
pretty close to empty and there wasn't a whole pile in the in the frozen food freezers either and then we saw this thing over the weekend where there was some was there some grief involving food safety and they were told to take stuff off the shelves and all of that but there's something else going on because we've been getting contacted in the last 24 or more hours by staff at the Cork branches there's four branches there's about 50 people working all together and they have been told we understand in the last few days to switch off the fridges. Now, Jamie Murphy is with the Independent Workers Union. You represent workers in the Iceland stores in Formoy, Ballincollig, and Douglas, Jamie. What is happening? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. So, um, quite a lot has been happening over the last uh, few months. It's been a, kind of an ongoing dispute, ongoing saga. So, I could tell you the story up until now, if you'd like. Please. Um Basically, what's been going on is the Iceland chain in the Republic of Ireland has come under new management around the end of February, start of March. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, uh, they've been in constant dispute with the new management over various issues. The main one being pay. So when uh, Iceland workers there would be paid weekly and they're still paid weekly. But what would what started to happen was that these weekly uh, pay increments would often be incorrect. Now, this isn't just for uh, workers in cork stores. This is nationwide. Um, And it would be incorrect in various ways. So some people wouldn't be paid at all. Some people would not get pay slips. Some of them would be paid for less hours than they actually worked. Some of them wouldn't get get annual leave, you know, et cetera. It would go on like that. Mm. And at first, the workers, they were under the opinion that, look, because this is a new transfer of undertakings, maybe this is just a, a rocky start. Right? Teething problems, but, as it were. Yeah. E- exactly, yeah. But uh, what we quickly saw and began to realise was that this was an ongoing issue that went on for weeks on end. So we, uh, you know, on behalf of the workers, we tried to get in contact with the new management um, and we are continuing to try and get in contact with the management, but we've effectively been met with radio silence. Right, um, they have not gotten back to us whatsoever. So what we have done, just just one question, Jamie. You, you don't have, or did you have, any working arrangement with the previous Iceland management? No. So the once this new transfer of undertakings happened, um, it was a mixture of both workers reaching out to us uh, for help, looking to to get some form of uh, advice from us, and it was also in effect of. Uh, our branch in Dublin doing excellent organising work, going in, chatting to the workers and finding out what the problems were. So they're not a previously unionised workforce, no? They're not, no. But over the last few months, they've been doing excellent work in unionising themselves and really getting them, getting read up on their Just want to be be clear on that one, yeah. 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 Yeah, so uh, what they've done now is they've gone down, we've we've done two, I suppose, uh, we've gone down two avenues here where we've lodged complaints with the Workplace Relations Commission, which you're probably familiar with, um, for payment claims and for uh, trying to get their their annual leave hours back. But as you know yourself, these claims can uh, take quite a long time to be resolved, sometimes from up to six months to a year. And obviously, you know, if you're working, most of these workers are minimum wage. If you're working minimum wage, paycheck to paycheck, you can't wait a year to get your back pay, right? So the workers voted to engage in some more uh, industrial action. And you probably saw on May 19th, 
um, a few Dublin stores uh, went out on strike. I did. And we were there in solidarity. To, I did, to I saw them. that, yeah. 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 Um, and we saw that that had an excellent effect. I mean, a lot of the community came out in support. Um, there was uh, a lot of donations made to, to help uh, build up uh, a strike pay for them that so they you know they weren't out of pocket for the day um and we could see that it had an effect on the company because i mean they they had to close down one of the shops in in, in the, the kulak branch in dublin mm-hmm. so obviously they were out of pocket for that day so it had an effect a lot of these workers have since gotten their payback uh, but there are still some workers who are owed in excess of over a thousand euro and mm-hmm. they are still waiting to hear back from the company okay no. Okay. Okay. And then the last couple of days, things seem to have gotten a bit worse. Yeah. So it was it was kind of all quiet for the last two to three weeks, right? Because uh, back pay has, has started to come in. We've been putting additional pressure on the company to pay what was owed. And then there's this news of uh, the the workers just being told by management um, to basically pull all products from shelves and freezers that um, that are animal products that have animal origin, right? And you said yourself that you went into Iceland last week and you know from going into Iceland previously that the majority of their products are of animal origin, mm-hmm. right? So these workers now are in a situation where they're working in stores that effectively have no stock. Um, and we've heard reports now as well. I, I'm not, I think this is a store-by-store store basis. But we've heard reports from some of our workers yesterday that the food that they had to pull out from the fridges and freezers They've had to put in the back. Some stores don't have fridges and freezers in the back. So what's happening is that this, these dairy products, this meat, these other products of animal origin are beginning to thaw and are beginning to stink. So it's almost it's becoming a health and safety issue now as well for the okay. workers. Okay. No, yeah, no we, we also got calls yesterday um, from staff who said that there's something about their holiday hours some staff yes. getting ridiculously small amounts of pay for their holidays, others not getting any at all. Five euro in one case, 25 in another. Wages ridiculously yeah. short. That, 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 that seems to be still ongoing locally, whatever yeah, so about that, Dublin. Yeah, so that, that is still an ongoing issue. And it's, it's gotten quite worse as well over the last week in the sense that when the, when the workers have been going to try and book annual leave, Oftentimes in a workplace, you have a system that you would go through, like, mm-hmm. an, like an online system, yeah, yeah. To some, some kind of software. And they've noticed that their annual leave allowance, which normally would have been, let's say, 30 hours, 40 hours, um, has been cut dramatically, sometimes to maybe five hours, sometimes six hours left, without them having taken that actual, actual annual leave. So they've effectively been taken, annual leave has been taken off of the system on their behalf without them being paid for it. And again, they've had no explanation from management about this. And this is the, it's the case that a lot of store managers in these uh, shops are also being kept in the dark. It's not that the store managers are deliberately keeping the workers there in limbo. Oftentimes the store managers don't know what's going on because there doesn't seem to be a clear management structure in place whereby there seems to be area managers who randomly go into shops at random times telling the workers what to do and then leaving again. So they're in a very precarious situation here where they don't know they don't know what's what what's next. And just to clarify what you said to me a while ago, you you your union, your officials are attempting to contact the new owners but to no avail. Yeah. We we're also going to try and make some contact later on today, but they don't seem to be responding to any queries. 
So they've been told now to empty the fridges. And what you're saying to me is that some of the stuff is actually now starting to go rotten in the back of the shop. Yeah, exactly. So it's it, it's actually myself who has been trying to get in contact with uh, with the new management, and so far, and we know that they have been getting this correspondence because they have told our members in person that they're going to they're refusing to engage with us purposely, right? So we know that it is it is arriving to them, and what's happening now is these workers are being told to effectively go through uh, the motions, work a normal day, but they're 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 not. There's not much for them to do in the shops now because the stores, from their perspective, right, look like they're almost closing down because there's no stock. There's been no deliveries over the last three weeks. Um, there, we, we have asked the employer numerous times to put in writing assurances that their employment is secure. Yeah. And again, that's fallen on deaf ears. So the workers here are in a situation where they don't know if they will have employment in the next couple of weeks. Are you concerned yourself about their jobs at this stage? Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's it's obviously hard to say. Uh, and what we what we're encouraging our members to do now is to, you know, we, what we've always been encouraging them to do, but even more so now, is to take a proactive approach. And, you know, if further industrial action is needed to be taken again, like we did in May nineteenth, I think it's the correct course of action because that is what an employer would ultimately listen to. Um, but of course, look, we're in a, a strange situation now where it's about fifty people working for Iceland across its four Cork stores and they're maybe listening to us talking here now and, and, and concerned for their future. Yeah. And look, I mean, I, I'd i be in contact with them effectively on a daily basis and so would our, our organisers in Dublin. And what we, what we are telling them is that what's important is the stronger the density, the, the union density in your store is, the more pressure we can collectively put on the employer. And if the if your store has a strong union density, you have a much more li- higher likely likelihood of being able to put that store out on strike, mm. put that store out Mind on you say, by, 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 by the same token, Jamie, and I, you know, I'm a yeah. trade union member myself since, I'd say, 1989. Yeah. I'm a member of the NUJ, still paying my sub every month. But yeah. you can sign up every worker in the country, but the the manager management won't even take your phone call at the end of the day yeah absolutely and look this is a this is a unfortunate symptom of of what employers can get away with in ireland at the moment because look this from 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 our perspective here right this is a new management system that has come in place that has gotten away with not paying workers um who that they have engaged in bully boy tactics to the extent where workers not being paid for weeks on end can't afford to stick around to try and hope to get their back pay. So they have been refor- they've been forced to leave uh, and and seek other employment. So this company has gotten away with not having to pay workers redundancy. It, they've gotten away with being able to dismiss workers unfairly. God, careful with that now. Careful me- with that now. You might have to end up having to prove that, or rather, I would. So be careful there. Okay, okay, but we've but because of the mechanisms in place like going down the WRC, going through the labor court, it can take a long time to get any form of decent satisfaction uh, from the employer, which is why we are trying to encourage our members to have a more proactive approach here instead of a reactive one. Mm. Because just going through the state mechanisms, while they are in place and while they do help, they are not the best and the, because they are not the quickest. Yeah. However, 
engaging in industrial action is the quickest form of trying to do something against your employer. That's, I suppose, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So you're, you're, are you saying to the workers in the Cork stores, Jamie, it might be time for yeah. pickets? Um, I, I suppose I, I am saying that, yeah. I'm saying that they should get in contact with us again. Uh, all our members who are already in these stores, get in contact with your co-workers. Um, we'll be going around shop to shop again uh, this week. And I, I, I think it, it might be time for pickets. I can't give any assurances, of course, as to how successful they will be because this management system, like you said, these new employers, um, they don't seem to, to care to listen to us. However, if we can put any damage into their pocket of what little they have left, I think well, it might well, be... Well, here's the I thing, Jamie, might, if they're emptying the shelves, yeah. if they're emptying oh, no, the shelves it. and they have nothing to sell... Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. And that's why I'm trying to say that, look, there's no assurances that can be given because they're effectively ramping down any form of production here, right? Um, it seems that they are being allowed to get away with just um, not giving their employees, their workers, any assurances. They're being allowed to uh, engage in radio silence with the union. And I think while it might not be a, the 100% correct solution, while it might not uh, have a, a, a solution straight away, industrial action might just be the course that we go down. Yeah. Okay. And you don't have an agreement with them. They don't recognize yeah. you effectively. So, yeah. You, but you still would have to serve notice on them. So are you thinking of, of doing course. that? Well, look, it's, it's ultimately up to the workers. It's not up to myself or, or the union. Well, they're the ones who yes. come to you and say, so, Jamie, we'll serve notice. But you would still have to serve notice, exactly. wouldn't you? Oh, of course. And we did that with the strike on May 19th. We served notice. We were completely above board with that. Yeah. So we would have to. And did they respond again. when you served that notice? They did not. No. Well, so you're dealing with a company yeah. that just refuses point blank to engage with the union, which, unfortunately, yep. under Irish law, that is their right. But, it is. but if we serve strike notice and if we do it correctly, even if they don't respond to us, we are still legally entitled to go out on strike then, even if they don't respond. Yeah. So a very precarious situation for the 50 workers currently employed by Iceland in the four, four Cork branches. What you've Douglas Road, you've Formoy, Ballincollig and Middleton, isn't it? Middleton, yeah. yeah. That's the fourth one. About 40 or 50 people. Very precarious situation. Yep. Jamie, we'll have to follow this one with interest. Uh, thank you, and we will. Thank you very much. That's uh, Jamie Murphy from the Independent Workers Union, representing workers in Iceland stores in Cork, and colleague from I Middleton and Douglas. A union unrecognised by the company, a union that the company does not engage with, or at least the present management of the company does not engage with. But the, what we understand. And if there are any workers who would like to contact us, uh, you don't have to identify yourself to us. Uh, just tell us what's going on, lads. They were told empty the fridges. Some of them have fridges in the back, some of them don't. They were told empty all the fridges. Now the stuff has gone rotten in the back. If you're a customer of Iceland and you'll be in there regular enough, have you seen changes? As I say, when I was in last week and I was only in for two or three minutes, I saw a couple of fridges with the shutters down. 
And certainly I, I would have observed, thinking back now, stock was rather low. Uh, people not getting properly paid, not getting their holiday hours properly paid, being left short in their wages. The Independent Workers' Union attempting to deal with Iceland, but Iceland not responding to them, not even acknowledging their existence, if you like. 0818 96 96 96 is one we'll have to watch. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Another week of me trying to help you get on that plane to Ibiza to see DJs do what exactly? I'm playing the biggest tunes from these guys to help you through the afternoon. Hello, I'm Luz Capaldi. This is Dua Lipa. Hey, this is Rihanna. And sure, I'll have you on for the chats as well. Oh no, that's not funny now because I was out on Saturday for bottomless brunch. You're having a great life. Alright, you know what now? I need it. I have a 10 month old Baby, I need it. Talk to you from 12. Let me show you what it's all about. Check it out. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. I was talking yesterday to Susan Galvin uh, about being 10 years sober. You can hear that back uh, anywhere you'd get your podcasts. It's the full interview is available to you, either on the app or, or wherever you pick up on your opinion line podcasts. But she had a horrific story. She arrived drunk to go into rehab. Um, she now goes by a, a daily motto of, I'm sober since I woke up. Now, she's 10 years sober. But she says, I'm sober since I woke up, which I think is one of the best I've ever heard in my life. And she has rebuilt her life and trained as a counsellor. So she helps other people who are dealing with addiction. We had a great chat with Susan. But it prompted a call from Angela. And Angela, I think it's a conversation, yesterday's conversation with Susan, it's a conversation that brought back a lot of memories. Morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very well. That's good, PJ. Yes, it brings back a lot of memories for me. I was in, I know I was an alcoholic now. I know I was an alcoholic, you know, because... In 2015, I was drinking so heavily, very, very heavily. Even before that, I wasn't drinking that heavy. But in 2015, I just came to a point where I just had to have drink. And it wasn't, you know, a couple of cans here and there. It was slabs of drink. Do you know what a slab 24 is in a slab, you know? No problem to me. I was a very, very heavy drinker that time. That's drinking from morning to night. Yeah, I was. That's what I was doing from morning until night time. And if I walked in during the night, I'd have a, I'd have a can. Do you know, I was just constantly drinking. There was no stopping. And and what led to that? What brought all that on? I I really, you know, I well, my partner passed away in two thousand and two. My mum passed, my dad, sorry, passed away in 2006 and my mum passed away in 2010. I kind of felt, I suppose, you know, I got through their passing, but I think I went into a depression in 2015. 
right. a couple of years later, you know. And I think that's what happened anyway. That's the only explanation I have for it, CJ. I know. Had you always been a drinker? Had you always liked to drink? I did, but not as much as what I was drinking 2015 onwards, no. Yeah. I, I like Susan, I was the one that would say, oh, you're better going out, out now to get a cure the following days, you know, what killed your cure? That was the saying that time. You know, so I'd go for a cure or somewhere and I used to leave then to drinking again all day. You were telling Fergal they used to drink at the weekends and then it was Fridays and then it was Mondays and then it was Tuesdays. Then it was every day. Then it was actually every day turned into from, say, Monday to Sunday. Monday to Sunday, Monday to Sunday, every day. This was every single day, PJ. Never without a can in your hand, but it sounds like it. Never without a can in my hand. And never without drink for the following morning. Like I go to sleep. I sleep and I sleep away at night time very late. I wake up then about, I could wake up about five in the morning and have a can. Right. You know, which is disgusting now when I think of, when I think back, like if that was sick, like it was actually disgusting. This is going to sound like an awful stupid question. How how do you even function when you're drinking like that? I didn't. I thought I was functioning, CJ, but I actually wasn't. I didn't know my night from days. I got to that point. I didn't know what time of the day it was, what day it was, what month it was, you know. Have you kids? I six. And they were all, they were all young enough. You know, but I had two girls that you were very, very good to me. They were very, very mature for their age, you know. What age were they? They were in their late twenties. Okay. Well, mid mid twenties. Okay. And and they were seeing their mum, never without a can in her hand. What were they saying to you? Oh, they were just saying to me, like, you know, ma'am, would you think it's time to stop now? You know, and they were saying. I didn't know what, what the word stop meant because I never did stop. Do you know? And I was saying, oh, I'm fine. And they were saying, ma'am, like you're turning into what you are. And I'm turning into, or you are one, an alcoholic. And I was saying, I was in denial then, PJ, you know. I was saying, no way. Do you know? Not a hope. And sure, I, now I know I was. I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's what I call myself today. And that kind of consumption with must have been doing harm to your body. It was, PJ, because it came to a certain point where, unknown to myself, all my organs were breaking down and I never knew it. My liver, my kidneys, everything was breaking down. Legs, everything. I couldn't walk. It got to a point where I couldn't walk and I ended up falling on the floor. Do you know? I, I just couldn't move. And I was there, oh my God, but I still, PJ, did not stop drinking at that time. And now I'm looking back saying, crikey, I was, I was severely, severely, uh, a very, very severe alcoholic. You must have been almost permanently drunk or hungover, were you, all the time? I was, I was never hungover, PJ, because I just kept drinking. I don't know what, I never knew what a hangover was until I ended up in hospital and I had the shakes and I was getting 
sick and all this. Tell me about that. Your, your, was it your daughter eventually said, stop, ma'am, I'm calling an ambulance or something like that? Was that what happened? Yes, my daughter, yeah, yeah. I was very drunk, as usual. And she said, ma'am, I'm ringing an ambulance. And I was arguing with her then, saying, you're not, you're not, I'm fine. Just wait until I get my uh, allowance on Tuesday and I'll go into hospital. All this, like, you know, I didn't know what I was on about. Do you know? The ambulance came. All I can, all I can remember now, Peter, is being laid down on, on the table. But I thought by looking at the boys, they were my son's friends. I was just saying stupid stuff to them. Yeah. Do you know, I thought they were my son's friends, but they were the ambulance men. I was told all this now afterwards. I couldn't remember anything. You know? You're in a cruel state. I was in a severely bad state. Did they have to resuscitate you? They did. They did. Um, they rang my daughter and told my daughter, look, they, they said, look, it's not looking good. You know, they got, they resuscitated me anyway, but... I died again in the ambulance. I passed away again in the ambulance twice on the way to the hospital. And once when I got to the hospital, apparently, which I no recollection at all because I was so severely well, drunk, God. you know, and I was just seeing when I just come back to a little thing there, Peter, I was, I, when I used, when I was so drunk, I used to see spirit children in my house. Oh, this, this recollection now is unbelievable. I still, I don't see it today, but I can still recall these spirit children in my home. Hallucinations, like? Hallucinations were very, very bad. And all my flowers that I had in the sitting room in the vase, now up in the wall, they were all moving. Do you know, and they were only in pictures. Do you know, but they were all moving. I could see them moving. I used to smile at them, you know. You were, you were out of your mind, would drink. Oh, I was very bad. I, ne- I never knew that I was as bad as what I was, BJ. Only when I got better. And when they brought you to the hospital and they finally managed to keep you with us, and thank goodness that they did, you were in a coma then, were you? I was. I can't remember going getting to the hospital, BJ. That's what I'm saying. I can remember going into the ambulance, but I can't remember then after that. What's your first memory after that? Oh, my first memory would have been, I called, I was in St. Catherine's Ward and I was wondering where the hell are they taking me? You know, I can't remember being in intensive care. I was saying, where the hell are they taking me? What's happening? And I was moved into a ward and my doctor just looked at me and he nodded his head like and. He told me, I, he said, you almost died. He said, you did die. You actually passed away, he said. He said, you're a very, very sick woman. And did you realise that he was right? No, I didn't realise all this was after going on. That I was in intensive care, I was in a coma. I did not know that all this was after going on, you know. I didn't realise. This was the first time you'd been without a drink in your hand in ages. What do you remember about that? Oh, I remember it well, PJ, because all I can remember is vomiting, shaking, my breathing went funny. 
I couldn't stop getting sick. Anything I put to my mouth, I was just bringing it back up. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't walk. I didn't realise I couldn't walk until, say, about three or four weeks before they let me home. I was getting physio. And how long did all that last? About four months. I went in in January. I came out going on, I think it was May. At that stage, you hadn't had a drink in four months? No, no. And I felt, you know, I felt empty and raw and I just, I felt like a nobody. Did you drink again? No, never, never. After, when I came out of hospital, BJ, I had a walking frame, obviously, because I, I, I couldn't walk properly. I, could, I was doing baby steps. Did, did you go to AA or anything like that? I went and went to no one, PJ, would you believe? I actually did it all myself. So how did you manage it? Um, when I came home, my friends, my family, they all greeted me when I came home and I was all bandaged up. Like, I had a tracheostomy. I had a colostomy. Good God. I had um, a catheter. So I came home with the tracheostomy, the catheter, and um, the bag on the tummy. You had almost drank yourself to death, Angela. I did. As the ambulance man actually said to my daughter, he said, if she was left, if your mum, he said, was left there until the following morning, she was dead. When was the last time you had a drink? That, that happened in what year? That happened in 2015, PJ. And this is 2023 and you haven't had a drink in eight years. I haven't had a sip or a smell of a drink since 2015, the 4th of January. Well done, you. Thank you, PJ. Must have been hard. It was tough because occasions there, you know, I was invited to birthdays and christenings and things like that, you know. It was hard at that time, the First time I ever went out to a, you know, a social event, it was tempting, but I I said no. I drank lemonade. Hmm. That's what I drank, lemonade. I said no because the memory came back of the condition I was in. I, I told Susan the story yesterday about the man who once told me he hadn't had a drink in twenty seven years, and the last time he wanted a drink was an hour ago, and Susan said to me, God, she feels like that all the time. Do you want to drink these days? No. No? Oh, no, no, PJ, I must say. Like, when I see people drinking now, having a laugh, I'd say, sometimes I I would feel, I'd say, oh, I'd love to be like them. But Mm. then the other part of my brain says, do not go there, because you'll end up where you started off. Or worse. All worked exactly. You, you said to Fergal something about you get a thirst for it and you have to deal with that. I did get an awful thirst for it when I came, not long after I came home, but I, I just didn't drink. I just said, no, this is not me. I'm not doing it again. Brilliant. I like, I, I hurt my family. I hurt my friends and family, most of all my family. All my family were home from England, PJ. I didn't even know they were home from England. They were all around my bedside, you know, and 
I'd, I'd seen none of this, like, you know, I was oblivious to everything. When I was told afterwards, everyone came home from England as, as well. Mm. I was saying, all by my bedside, my daughter in the background there, talking, they were all, all around my bedside talking to me and, you know, the nurse said, like, talk to her, she can hear you, but she won't, she actually won't um, bond. And here you are now talking to me. Yes. PJ and I'm so happy to be talking to you. How's life now? Very good. It's very, very good now. Do you know, I can wake up now, PJ, knowing what day I have, what month I have, what year I even have, what time I have. You're sober now, eight years, and you're and you're happy. And I'm happy, and hopefully, I uh, hopefully, which I will, I know I will, because I'm strong-minded now. I was very, very weak-minded when I came out of hospital. And the con- condition I was in even when I came out of hospital. Did you get rid of the colostomy bag? Did you get rid of the catheter, all those things, did you? I got rid of those. That was reversed, PJ. Yeah, Brilliant. the colostomy was reversed. Fantastic. There, I had a catheter for two years afterwards. Good Lord. Angela, I think you're absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you, Peter. I think you're brilliant. I really do. And thank you so much for getting in contact because people will identify with, with what you're telling me. I wish you good health, girl. I'm still here to tell the tale, as they say, PJ. And you've told it so well. Thank you. Oh, thank you, PJ. Have a great day. You too, PJ. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. See you, Ange. See you. God, what a story, lads. What a story. 0818 Tell Cork all about it. Email the details to Cork Diary at 96fm.ie. I don't know if you watched the Ireland Greece match the other night. I just watched back the, the highlights, or rather the low lights, because what happened inside the stadium was pretty distasteful and disappointing to watch. But what happened outside the stadium in Athens was bordering on dangerous. Andrew Horgan from the Irish Examiner Sports Desk. You were there, Andrew. It got pretty hairy, did it? Morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on, PJ. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, I wish I was coming on just to talk about the football and obviously, especially after a decent win last night. But um, no, when we were in Athens, uh, unfortunately, we were treated uh, very badly by the, suppose the officials over there and security over there just before kickoff when we were just trying to get in and just watch the match um, and support our country. Yeah. FAI released a statement Friday night saying they were aware of problems and would be reviewing the issues. What were the issues? What happened? Um, well, probably the main thing was that when fans arrived on, a lot of them were treated just very badly and I think it just seemed like they were really unprepared for the amount of Irish fans that were going to turn up, which was, you know, it's not right because it was well documented how many Irish fans were going to turn over, uh, turn up, sorry. Um, mm. It was well documented that they'd asked for extra tickets and they'd been granted them, so there really should have been no problem. But, like, to be honest, it's just when I got to the, 
to the away end just to go in and you could just see that they just weren't prepared for how many people were there that the security checks were just non-existent pretty much and then once people tried to get in and they realized they hadn't been checked early they just completely locked down the gates just wouldn't let any fans in and as, as you can imagine more and more fans arriving on to go into the match yeah. and it just started creating a bit of a crush because they weren't letting anyone, anyone in and they were all just in this section just outside the gates and a lot of people not knowing what's going on at all. And yeah, as I said, to be honest, I, I was kind of nearly towards the back. I was just kind of taking photos and videos, just sending them on to the examiner. I wasn't actually working. I was just there as a fan, but it, I see. just when I was there, I just wanted to kind of report back what was going on. And um, yeah, as I said, it was actually people near the gates, closer to the front. They were the ones that probably got the brunt of it, unfortunately mm-hmm. for them. And they went through the, the scarier times, I suppose, because I did talk to a couple of them who uh, who, who did start to fear for their safety of it. Yeah, some of the some of the pictures from inside the away section of the ground was half empty when we had heard earlier in the week that the away, every away ticket that could be sold had been sold. Now, I read some quotes on social media over the weekend. You know yourself, Andrew, on social media, you dial everything down by 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 ten percent at least, but. Someone was saying it could have been another Hillsborough waiting to happen. Did it look that bad to you? Yeah, there was actually someone I, I spoke to um, and I was just like, there was just his genuine emotion at the time and how what he felt because um, I said, like, like I'm, I'm actually a Liverpool fan so I know quite a lot about Hillsborough myself yeah. and some of the things you heard about what happened maybe that day were kind of scarily kind of repeating themselves. Like, I was told by a security guard that the reason this happened is because a lot of the fans turned up late and I said I was there, like I was probably one of the last to arrive and I was there probably half an hour before kickoff. So like it should be plenty of time to just to scan a ticket and go into the, to the end. And But there was people there a lot longer before me. I even heard people had problems getting in three hours before kickoff when there was absolutely nobody there and having issues scanning tickets and being redirected to the wrong areas by security and by the officials wow. from underground and as I said and and again, security, it, security on the happened. gates how did they how did they respond did, did they stay calm and try and settle it or did they become part of the problem yeah they were kind of just giving a little information as I said I was just told that this is kind of your fault because you turned up late and it was like I like I said I was here half an hour before kickoff and there was people a lot there, lot, there a lot longer than I was and I said the reason we ended up getting into the match when we did which was 10 minutes into the game was because they just decided to randomly open the gate and oh, as I said that was kind of that's you can imagine once they opened the gate yeah just people went in like I I had a ticket I got it through the FAI and I never scanned it to get in and I actually never sat in the section I was supposed to just because oh that brings that would have brought gate, back memories of, of Hillsborough yeah exactly and it said we were just this door opened and we were just kind of all told to go through it and obviously when they did when the match was on as well people just naturally went in through this way and next thing you're in a small little room and then next thing you're going up this kind of narrow stairwell and just fans that just obviously everyone kind of went in at once as well because they, they weren't scanning tickets or anything so it was just a natural thing to do that everyone went in and I say yeah it's, and it was very uh, hot and humid night and tense anyway yeah what, what's been yeah. the response of the FAI? Well, the FBI, in fairness, they released a statement kind of later that evening. Just they're aware of it that they're they're going to do their due diligence and see what went on, what went wrong. And uh, I think they have kind of supporters, liaisons, officers now. They're all looking for information. So if anyone that was in Athens, like myself, there's surveys and there's email 
contact um to just to let you know your, your experiences and mm. as I said once they've their due diligence due diligence done sorry, easy I know what say. you mean I know uh, do your homework I stopped calling due diligence due diligence years ago I just say homework <laughs> and your grand but yeah. it, do, does does Greece have a reputation for difficulty with regards to getting into stadiums or was this seem to be just a one-off yeah, it's kind of strange, actually, the way it worked out. is I actually was in Athens for the Champions League final back in 2007 as a Liverpool fan, and yeah, there was a lot of these similar issues happened as well back then. Um, again, I never showed my full ticket. I still have it at home, actually, kind of as a bit of a strange souvenir that they never checked it, and back then it wasn't scanning it. It was obviously tearing it. We had to physically show it, and I never did. And again, just these security checks that just weren't up to standard as well that they were supposed to have on the day and that was the biggest game in club football and yeah as I said like that that's only I've only been to Athens twice both games and unfortunately they both lost the teams of support and I said but it was actually the experience what we went to even just get into the game was the worst part of it all and I said it's just like that's why we're kind of obviously hoping as Irish fans that the FAI will come back and they will end up doing something about this and but it just seems like you know I've, I've been to a lot of games as away fans elsewhere and you just hear these experiences and it was only the other week like Man City fans were in Istanbul and they had a horrible experience so you just wonder what can be done really about it You you were not there in a working capacity quite net, although you ended up working uh, by default but I see where there was war there between a, a journalist and a Stephen Kenny uh, over the run of poor form, uh, and Kenny yeah. was put out that the journalist raised this. That's that's the chap's job. Like, do you think? Yeah. Do you think Kenny just on a on a sporting related question to, to finish? And do, do you think Kenny's under pressure now? He had a good result last night, but you'd expect to beat them, like. Yeah, no, he, I think he kind of showed it as well in that uh, interaction with that journalist. Um, I said the question maybe the tone wasn't particularly great, and that's what the kind of press officer stepped in to acknowledge as well. But but not uh, the questions were valid. What the stats were put to him of his record as manager, they were all valid. So his reaction to it wasn't particularly great, and it did show he was obviously feeling the pressure a certain amount of, and again that wasn't just after yeah. the match on Friday where Liam Brady didn't spare the studs either when he said there's the worst group of pairs a manager has had in years yeah and I, I think he kind of said it to us in the examiner uh, with a piece we did yesterday that maybe he was uh, I said that can be the emotions getting to him maybe a little bit after mm-hmm. the match and again there's not too many people would argue too much with that either saying he was wrong but he kind of maybe felt he shouldn't have said it but it was just again like with Liam Brady as I said that was on live television straight after the match you can understand that was comments but Stephen Kenny's kind of the reaction to that journalist like that was at the pre-match press conference on Sunday so yeah, you know yeah. Again, it kind of shows you was feeling the pressure. And, uh, yeah, John, John, is saying, John, John is saying it's a match that they should have won. They should never have lost that, that match and that those questions were, were valid. Andrew, thank you very much. Andrew Horgan, a journalist with the uh, Echo, was at the match as a fan on uh, Friday night. They should have won that match. They should have got something out of that match. But a dangerous situation. And as a, a Liverpool fan, shades of Hillsborough. I thought it was an exaggeration people were exaggerating on social media as one tends to do but no, certainly had the strains of Hillsborough
about it. Thanks, Andrew. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Following that story of the craft, the underwater craft that is missing around the wreck of the Titanic. There's a very strong cork connection on board that vessel. I'm reading from the examiner in the last while that one of the missing passengers, a man called Paul-Henri Nargolet, he's a Frenchman, he's a former commander from the French Navy, spent 25 years at sea with the French Navy, and he has strong family connections to cork. So I understand. This thing is called the Titan, and people have paid massive money to be honest it's $250,000 for an 8 day trip which includes a dive to the wreck on board this submersible which is owned by a company called Ocean Gate Expeditions it went missing on Sunday around 700 kilometers south of Newfoundland and it was to dive onto the Titanic wreck. You can go right down. Its its depth range is deeper than the Titanic is sitting, if you know what I'm getting at. So, it's got enough oxygen on board for 96 hours if it's cut off. It blips. Every so often it sends up a blip to the monitoring centre on the surface that everything's okay. Those blips stopped and I can't see it, and I can't go down to look for it. I was listening to a discussion overnight that any you'd need to bring a vessel from another part of the world to go down and actually see where it is. They think, they fear it might have gotten caught in the actual wreck itself and be unable to move. And, and now this blipping has stopped, and they're very worried. There's a, five people on board. There's a man called... Hamish Harding, who's a billionaire, explorer, based in the United Arab Emirates, but he's British. There's a man called Stockton Rush, who is the chief exec of Oceangate, that's that company. The man I mentioned a minute or two ago, Paul-Henri Nargiolet, a former French naval commander with strong family connections to Cork. And a man called Shazada Dawood and his son Suleiman, he's a Pakistani businessman, five of them on board, but there's a quote in the examiner this morning from Paul Henry, the former naval commander, the French Navy and he, in an interview given a while back, he said, look, if anything happens that far down you don't even know about it, you're dead before you even know about it they've got about, I think the 36 hours worth of oxygen left 0818 96 96 96 There's one to watch It's a big huge international story at the moment Certainly one to watch 0818 96 96 96 The number of the text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 96 Now yesterday we had another alert About a scam that's going around This one involves a phone call Which purports to come from the guards Telling you that they've 
hit a problem with your bank account. It's it's not from the guards. Neither are these e-flow texts that are going. They're not legitimate either. It's a scam a day, and you saw the numbers released by Comrade. It's a thousand different people are hit with a scam every single day. Sharon, you played ball with a scammer once you had them sussed out a bit. They were selling code line tickets from Osgrave Park, was it? Morning. Morning, how are you? Yeah, it was tickets for code line. I wasn't looking for tickets, I just knew it was a scam, so I played along. Okay, tell me what happened. I saw... I, I've nearly been caught before. I was looking for pups and an ad did come up and within two sentences, I knew there was a scam. So, you know, I played along to that. So when I saw the ad yesterday, I knew it was a scam and I started texting and I was going to get content for my page and I was just going to go along with it and offer this and offer that. And um, eventually I got blocked, but I get blocked a lot anyway. <laughs> what gave it to you? I'll read the ad. It said, Hi, I'm selling so, yeah. three quarter line tickets for June 23rd at Musgrave Park. Now, there's a misspelling. It's 23rd. That's the first thing. Yeah. Also, I'm selling. Not I am selling. So that tells me they're not Irish. Um, it was very familiar from the previous one. Am um, is a lot. Instead of saying I am, they'll always say am. Um. And you just know then it's a scam. Well, for me, I know it's a scam. But I said I was looking for content, so I went along with the conversation. Yeah, you sent a PM, didn't you? Like, for me, it was a laugh. I was doing it for one reason, but on the other hand of it, as scams go, they are very sophisticated. Um, They caught me out. They blocked me. And as soon as they blocked me, I had another message from... Someone totally different saying, um, please follow this guy. I got scammed out of 63,000 US dollars. I don't know if you read the comments, maybe Fargal did. Um, click this link. Obviously, I did not click the link. Yeah, Desc- describe, some of the co- part- describe the conversation you had back and, back and forth with, with, with this, this person. Uh, you, I've got some of the I, screenshots here, but describe them to me. Yeah. So they said they were selling cold line tickets. Um, I texted back, I said, I'd like to, and they said, no problem. And they were asking for PayPal details. So I said, look, I have none, but I'll register money to you. Registered post, you'll have the money within a few hours, you'll have it by this evening, which if they were genuine, that would be better. Yeah. I think it would be better. So they kept trying, they were saying, oh, I'm not at home. My dad just died, I'm at his funeral, so on and so forth. Um, I was getting at that point. Um, that went on a bit. And later, I agreed to the PayPal. I was messing about saying, I'm with Postman Pat. And he said, we can give you PayPal from the post office. And she gave me, a, she, I say she, I don't know who I was talking to, yeah. gave me a man's name for PayPal and a, a tag. And his name is David. Yeah. So I said, look, that's not yours at all. I said, you're giving me some men's um, details. I said, I want to send them to you, Vanessa. Your name is Vanessa. I want to send them to, I want to send the money to Vanessa. I'm here now. And she was like, this is my colleague. I'm with him now. I'm at work. And I was saying, I'm sorry to hear you're at work. 
the same day as your dad's funeral reminding <laughs> of the previous life. Then you, you know, and then you, I said, then you, you really know, went. Then you really went for it. You said, I went off. I that. really need to the, go to that concert. The man who plays. <laughs> one of them got oh, me triggers, yes, and yes. I need to now, hold up a banner. When you're not from Cork, when you're not from Cork, you're not going to get the slang. So I said, I need a guy who plays, I need to be there. The guy who plays the instrument has me preggers. <laughs> they obviously didn't trick to that. I said, I'm going to hold up a banner. And I said, I, I haven't caught, have you ever caught anyone, Vanessa? And obviously it fell on deaf ears, PJ, because they're not from Cork. They didn't know the slang. And I, I threw in a few different ones, but I can't say them over the radio. And you said you know, then, you said, you said where will I, even after all this, shit, even after all this messing around, you said, where will I post the cash? And you goes, she goes, yes. I can only take Revolut or PayPal. That's it. Do you know, because they want your bank details. Do you want any sort of, they could catch you in with 20, even if it was just 25 quid. And there are people out there desperate enough to, you know, they want to go to Coldelaine. There's lots of people looking for tickets. So I hope they didn't catch anyone, but the likelihood is they're probably going to catch someone. Yeah. You know, we had we had another name being used last week to try and catch people. But you're you're on TikTok a lot, so you spot this this kind of thing. I do. You'd be one of the, you'd be know, one of the I'll, nanny I'll TikTokers, you the would you? Story um, a few years ago, I was looking for a jog, and there was um, I was looking on Dundee, and you know the way cookies go, something will come up on Facebook, and it was too beautiful little pop so I sent a message I'm interested in the pops I got no reply and then the next day there was another ad with two pops different pops there were lovely little things and I texted them lo and behold the first person started texting back as, as well as the second I was replying to both people and they both had similar stories they loved their pops they referred to them as babies but they need to rehome them for free all I have to pay is the courier charge and both of these people had children sick in hospital with uh, brain tumours. Uh, uh, I knew straight away it was a scam. So, you know, that's how I can kind of spot them, if you get me. Do you know, they're rare. They're few parts. You wouldn't often see it, but when I do see it, I do play along. Mm, As I said, l- too much time on my hands. <laughs> there's a lot of it about. Uh, certainly, the, what, there would, is. what would have given it to me, I would, well, if I would have sort of said, look, uh, three, you know, like that. you're right, high am selling, June 23th would have, yeah. would have would have started me going, hold on a second, if you've got something to sell, you can at least spell it correctly. Yeah, and uh, how kind of her to take the time out from her father's funeral to sell the tickets. I know, I know. <laughs> Do you know how hard of gold she had? <laughs> but she was at work on the same day. I know. Do you know, she has a tough boss, I'd say. But do you know what? A lawyer has to have a good memory and they were just, they were all over the place. They couldn't keep their story together. Yeah. It was brilliant. It was brilliant fun for me. I was laughing as I was sending the messages. Do you know, I knew nothing was going to come of it. Yeah. But sure, their anger kind of turned in because they were trying to hack my account. It did come back to me. Um, they sent a link about a scam and then an hour later, another lad text and said, you've been hacked. Um contact this person he'll help you so they were assuming I would have clicked the link so the third guy who came along was giving me advice how to get my hacked account back which it wasn't hacked I didn't click anything (laughs) yeah the the, the conversation with them though I'm at I'm at my dad's funeral and so I just decided to sell the tickets like as if as if you'd have the presence of mind 
Just you would not. That's it. You wouldn't have the presence of mind. Mm. You, you'd be all of, you'd forget Codeline existed when you've had um, a loss in your family. Do you know what I mean? But, but, you, like, but you know what it is, Sharon? Well done. Well, well done on catching him. But there's so many out there now. The next one could catch you. That's the thing. That's true. I did post into that group to let people know there's scammers, but I don't know how many people saw that. All I know is who saw it on my page, um, friends and, you know, public. Um, I didn't put it up as a beware post. I did put it up for entertainment. Yeah, yeah. It was on the items, the items for sale Thank in Cork page. Yeah. Like it was on a perfectly legitimate page. That's the thing. Yeah. I think the admins could govern the pages a bit more and just, you know, like I did report it yesterday, mm. but um, it's it's still there. Like her ad is still there. There's another girl sending me messages that she's currently having a conversation with her. So, God. and the ad is still on the freebie page. So, you know, you mm. can report them, but they don't seem to get taken down. Yeah. All right, Sharon, well done to you. Watch out the next time. Sharon... Sweeney, she caught a t- she caught a spammer or a scammer on the items for sale in Cork page, saying they were selling three code line tickets for when's the twenty third Thursday is it uh, at Musgrave Park or is it Friday? I can't remember which. Message me privately if you haven't bought you. It's for Saturday. It's Friday. Message me privately if you haven't bought yours there, and they have no tickets. There are loads of these scams with two festivals on in town at the moment with Mulchave Park and Marquee both on at the moment. I'll bet you if you went looking for Rod Stewart tickets for tonight, you'd find them somewhere. Uh, and some scammer selling them to you. Fanula says, I got a text to my phone yesterday from on post Maria saying my parcel had cleared customs, but they didn't know my address. I mean, come on. <laughs> There's clever scams out there. But there's plenty of pretty thick scammers too. Like <laughs> they they got a yeah. They got a text on my phone one post saying my parcel had cleared customs, but they didn't know my address. There was no address on the parcel, we're supposed to believe. I mean there's clever clever scams out there, but there's plenty of thick scammers too. That girl on air did a brilliant job. She did indeed, she didn't the one thing about it that if you treat everything as a scam the chances are you'll be right more often than you're wrong. That's the trouble we're in nowadays. You can't afford to treat anything as legitimate. Don't buy anything, no matter how good or proper or right it looks, without double and treble checking it first. Um, 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Now the dust has kind of settled on that desperate leaving cert. Matt's Honours Paper 1, um, which was a nasty paper. Dermot from tacitmaths.ie fabulous maths teacher uh, he'll actually be involved in the marking process of this paper he described it to us last week as a very tough paper you expect leaving certain maths to be difficult but he said the way it was compiled wasn't exactly fair and he'd be bringing that contribution to the to the marking scheme and there was a lot more written about it and said about it and a lot of outrage about it. Paper 2 then turned out to be fine and people seemed to be okay. 
Mick Clifford wrote about this in the Examiner in the last few days. And Mick, you wanted to develop the point of the discussion that followed that very tough paper. And some maths teachers have said, look, yes, it was very tough. You expect tough. But as Dermot said, you also expect fair. And in his opinion, it wasn't fair. But you felt some of the language went over the top. Morning. Morning, PC. I did, and I mean, I, I would absolutely uh, take on board the fact that it wasn't fair and that it was tough. Uh, I'd say nobody could argue with that, and I certainly wouldn't. I'm not a professional maths teacher. I wouldn't be in a position to do so, but I'd completely accept it. However, a tough and unfair exam is one thing. That is something that would engender disappointment. I, I, I think it might be fair to say most of us who've been through the system have at one stage or another faced tough exams in that respect but I just found the reaction to be worrying and particularly I would suggest more from adults rather than the students the teenagers themselves and you have suggestions like that it was a vindictive paper you had a principal in one school writing to the state examinations commission about the trauma as it was um, termed and he said I have one message for the SEC shame on you Somebody else suggested that the Minister for Education had packed the bus with six-year students. She got out of the bus and pushed it off a cliff. Now, all of that stuff on one level is understandable on behalf of students who came out of there. And some were obviously and very understandably very upset. But it raises questions about, for example, why is there so much pressure on the Leaving Cert and, and the way it's dealt with? If this is the level of, and to use that word that was used, trauma, that occurs when there's a tough or unfair paper. Secondly, have we, my generation, an older generation, I'm I'm a parent to teenagers myself, but have we fashioned another generation through helicopter parenting that they're not perhaps well equipped to deal with disappointments and that they perhaps inflate, and us along with them as a result, inflate disappointments into trauma and I just think those kind of things, now the one other element to it, and this is specific to the leaving I think it also highlighted certain inequalities in the leaving, for example the the, the, the maths higher paper, you'd be talking about the top half uh, in academic terms of those who are sitting the paper had this been a past Irish paper had it been a paper in the leaving cert applied, would there have been the same reaction and outrage by people and and that I think highlights the inequalities in it the most to me the one sensible thing that was said last week was said by the president of uh, technological university in Dublin and he suggested there should be more pathways towards third level for people in second level rather than directly through the point system and I think that's the most sensible thing would also take pressure off the kind of pressure that we saw exploding as a result of yeah. that higher maths paper. You make a point in your column, Mick, where you say how are these teenagers going to manage real challenges, genuine crises and sudden shocks if this is the reaction to an exam paper that will, I have no doubt, mean precious little when the results are published. You could be accused there, Mick, of trivialising the fact that they were upset by it. I could, and I didn't mean to trivialise it, but but what I'm I'm attempting to say, how well I said it or not, is is open to question. I'm certainly open to that question, but what I'm attempting to say is that quite obviously people were traumatised by this paper. Why? 
why should you be traumatised by an exam paper, particularly, and you mentioned the, 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 the maths teacher you referenced there will be correcting exams. PJ, I have no doubt that when the exams come out in two months, or the results, excuse me, in two months' time, uh, account will be taken of how difficult this was and it will not impact on people's points. Mm. Now, and not, not just, I have no doubt about it, I'd be amazed if most people with a knowledge of it well, were unaware of that. Well, what Dearman said, and like, he explained how it works, he will be going to a meeting, I think he said it's in Athlone, where the, the correcting, the marking scheme for this paper will be discussed. They will take a selection of papers, they will correct them with the marking scheme, then they will come back. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns and look again and that marking scheme he said you can take it from me you can and will be adjusted accordingly so that everything exactly. evens out in the end as, as it should be but what about the other point like if and you mentioned helicopter parenting and I had a couple of parents on here last week who were saying oh god this was an awful cruel and nasty thing to do to, 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 to the pupils it wasn't fair on them it was horrible for them like you I might might children are a little older than yours again Mick and I think we as parents and this people are welcome to come in and join me on this if they want to I think you and I as parents and others like it we have a duty to teach our children from as old as they're from the time they're old enough to understand that the world isn't kind and the world will be unfair and the world will shock you from time to time I couldn't agree more, PJ. And I mean, I also mentioned in the column that I do not envy. Some people suggest, and some people uh, spoke to characterize what I wrote as saying, oh God, we did much tougher in my time. Quite the opposite. I do mm-hmm. not envy the young people today. The pressures that are on them, the pressures, for right. example, that I and my generation never faced, like in relation to social media, in relation to heightened expectations, in relation to a growing generational gap in wealth that's going to affect all young people. I have no envy for them. I think they have it tougher, personally, I think, than my generation had. What we had different, though, is I think the issue of resilience. And that's down again to my generation and our parenting that it would suggest the kind of reaction we had here that the resilience that for previous generations have is not there at the moment because it hasn't been conditioned to be there by how kids were grown up, were, were brought up. No, there could be all different reasons for that. Yeah. And we can speculate on what they are. And they're growing up in a different world. But we do have that obligation that you're referencing. And I just wonder how well we as a generation have handled it that uh, students would be so upset over an issue like this. How exactly are they going to face into real traumatic circumstances as they move through life? Thank you, Mick Clifford, Irish Examiner, Special Columnist and Investigative Reporter. And just that point that he makes, and we'll throw it out there for what it's worth. Um, My kids, look, they're grown up now, they're adults and making their own way in the world. Mixed kids are a little bit younger there. They're, they're teenagers. But I, I can remember my, my dad, God rest him, and my mother, um, who's thankfully still with us. Very early on in my life, one thing that my dad always wanted to drill into my head was, it isn't fair. 
it isn't fair. Life isn't fair. The world isn't fair. We will be kind to you. We will treat you like you should be treated. But the world won't. There will be shocks in the world. Things will be done to you. You will experience things. You will meet people that don't like you. Horror of horrors. And you have to be ready for it. And Mick is asking the question, well, children who are kids, teenagers, okay, leaving an exam hall in tears, God, I've done that myself. People quite honest with you. But vomiting afterwards? Like, have they been learning since they were small enough to understand that the world isn't fair? 0818 96 96 96. Are we mollycoddling them a little bit? That's the word I was looking for. Are we mollycoddling the teenagers just a little bit? Like, as Dermot said last week from tacitmats.ie, you expect leaving cert honours maths to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. But the paper is supposed to be fair. There's a, I, this is a new term on me coming up on my screen. I've never heard of this. Snowplow parenting. Now, there's helicopter parenting where you're in over them all the time, making sure everything is okay, making sure that the, you know, the world is presented them in, in nice, safe... And, and now, <laughs> snowplow parenting. This is a totally new one on me. Um... Snowplow parenting is where parents almost go in front of their kids, clearing all of the obstacles of life out of the way, making sure there's no stress and no drama. And that is helicopter parenting taken to the next level. Helicopter is where parents are flying in overhead. They're always watching. They're always over your shoulder. They're always trying to avoid things getting in your way. They're always trying to avoid problems. To you know, Let's solve the problem before it gets to Susan or gets to Mary. Let's solve that problem before it gets to them. Which is great. But Susan or Mary or John or Pat, they're not learning to solve the problem if you're solving it for them first. But the new one on me is... Snowplow parenting. So here's snowplow parenting. So there's John or Mary or Tom or George or whatever. And they're making their way through life. And mommy or daddy are going ahead of them. Clearing the way. Anything that might get in the way, might trip them up, might upset them, might bother them, might might be difficult for them. We clear it away. So they never even see it. That's snowplow parenting. You see, when they get out into the world and you're no longer there with the snowplow or you're no longer there with the helicopter, they're banjaxed. They're absolutely banjaxed. Are we parenting? Here's the question for you. Are we parenting our smallies so that they'll always be smallies? You cannot avoid stress, trauma, difficulty, You cannot, you should not bring them up in a world where they never have to deal with a problem. You've dealt with it for them or you've made it go away before it even lands on their desk. Snowplow, (laughs) wonderful new word. They'll never deal with a problem because you'll be there first and have it solved for them. Helicopter parenting, they'll never deal with a problem because you'll solve it from overhead. And that's the point that Mick is making. Like... Children vomiting after an exam. Where's the resilience? Were, there, were they taught resilience? Like, did anybody sit down with those kids and say, do you know what now? You're doing honours maths. 
Or are you doing honours Felix? Or are you doing honours Irish or honours French? This might be tough. This might be very tough, you know? I must say I love that expression, snowplow parenting. You can always see it, can't you? Walking ahead of your children. Walking ahead of your children, clearing everything out of the way. They're happy as a pig and you know what, because they're not having to deal with anything. What happens then when you walk away? <sighs> they can't cope. Remember the fellow on the phone to me years ago? And he, he, he hung up on me. Um, we were talking about refusing things to children, saying no to children uh, from a very young age. And he rang up and he said, I'm ne- I never say no to my children. I said, what? I never say no to my children. My daughter is nine, he said. She's my world. I said, so she should. I never say no to her. I said, why do you never say no to her? Because she said, the whole world's going to say no to her. So daddy won't. But I said, it's daddy's job to teach her. Or mammy's job. It's daddy or mammy's job to teach her that the world will say no. There's the actual... There's the actual definition. Snowplow parenting. Also called lawnmower parenting. Or bulldozer parenting. Is a parenting style that seeks to remove all obstacles from a child's path so that they don't experience pain, failure or discomfort. Don't be a snowplow because you'll end up with someone who can't cope with real life. Kind of parent who makes sure that they walk ahead of their child clearing every little obstacle before it becomes a problem. What you'll end up with What you'll end up with is someone who can't solve their own problems when they get on in life a bit. Uh, Bernie says, if they take up their cause for every little disappointment, they'll have no resilience. And there'll come a day then when they're an adult and you can't intervene, it'll bring them down with a crash. You might think you're being kind. And in the moment you are, Bernie, but you're not. You're not being kind. Every so often you've got to turn around and say, "Well, well, there's your problem. Solve it. Solve that problem now. I'll help you to solve it, but I won't solve it for you. That's the thing. Help them to solve it. Always be there for them if they have a problem. And don't ever, don't, let there be no problem they can't bring to you. But don't solve it for them. You know, I remember my dad, God rest him, I could bring him anything. I could bring anything to my dad. And it's something I try to do with my own kids. That there's nothing, 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 nothing they couldn't bring to my door in the form of a, of, a, of a problem or a crisis. And my dad would sit in front of you and he'd listen to you. He'd listen to you for ages and he mightn't say a word. He might ask you the odd question quietly. And then when you'd finished, he'd look at you. And he'd say, he'd call you every gobshite under the sun. And then he'd make a cup of coffee and he'd sit down and say, right, he'd say, now how are we going to fix this? That was his way. That was his way. It isn't the world isn't fair. Norma Foley should be gotten rid of. It's not just one exam, it's a few. Don't call out my name, please. But why would the Minister for Education have to be gotten rid of? Because some exams are hard. Exams are supposed to be hard. As Dermot said, from tacit maths, there's nothing wrong with a hard maths paper. 
Leaping Cert Honours Maths is hard. It always was. It should be. Was it fair? No. Should Norma Foley have to answer for that? Well, she didn't compile it. I love it. I love it. Snowplough parenting. I really do. Bunch of stuff coming in on scammers as well. But we need to go back to the story of Beaumont Nursing Home because they're going protesting tomorrow at the dawn. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM's Week in Ibiza. Week in Ibiza. Listen to Win Your Way to the World's Most Famous Party Island. <laughs> Party Island. <laughs> Just watch me dance. Seven nights at the Wiki Woo Hotel. Tickets to David Guetta, Joe Corey and Ocean Beach. Dinner at Cafe Mambo for the famous Ibiza Sunset. And spending money. Spending money. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Stay listening to Cork's 96FM weekdays for the biggest hits of the White Isle. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. Win, win, win. Win your way to a week in Ibiza. Only on Cork's 96FM. So tomorrow... Uh, a number of relatives and friends of the elderly residents at Beaumont Residential Care are going to Dublin to protest outside the Doyle. They're pleading with the Taoiseach uh, and the government to intervene in the dispute between the nursing home and the NTPF, the National Treatment Purchase Fund, which funds the the um, oh God, the fair, fair, fair Deal Scheme. Sorry, I went out of my head for a second. Under the Fair Deal Scheme, Beaumont Residential Care says it's not getting enough money at the moment from the NTPF to keep the level of care for the 50-something residents in the home. And the families were told in May that they may have to stop dealing, working with the Fair Deal scheme. One figure that has emerged is that uh, Fair Deal nursing home residents get assistance of €738 a week less than HSE nursing home residents. This has been going on now since since early May. A couple of weeks ago, the residents protested outside the offices of Michal Martin, Simon Coveney and Michael McGrath here in Cork. And as I told you, they're going to Dublin tomorrow to continue their protests there. Rosie is one of the family members who was protesting outside. I think I think she was outside uh, Simon Coveney's office. Has has anything happened? Rosie, since those meetings a couple of weeks ago. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, there have been no uh, real developments. Um, they care choice and Stuart Murphy, the CEO, has was been in contact with the ministers and the NTPS. Regarding the figures and details of that, um, I I don't have right now. Okay. We're early in the week so far. I know there's going to be a meeting. Myself, uh, myself, and the family members are going to meet to kind of see where we can go from here, and we're going to keep protesting as long as we need to. Yeah, Simon um, Coveney came out of his office and spoke to some of the people, John included, there last yeah. week. And listening to John, he said that 
Minister Coveney seemed to be trying to push it back onto the National Treatment Purchase Fund and, and Care Choice to sort it out between them. Now, I was saying on the programme, the National Treatment Purchase Fund is a state service. So one one would imagine a a politician would do more than just push it back. What would you think? Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's, um, because the NTPS is, uh, yeah, the National National Treatment Purchase Fund is a kind of faceless entity. It's quite convenient trying to push um, the responsibility to them because there's no one who's in kind of um, can defend or can um, assert what's what the story is there, but really it is up to government. They are the ones who um, implemented this uh, organisation and are ultimately responsible for for it all. This is actually a big issue and it's convenient for government to um, maybe just pigeonhole it to being an issue with care choice and um, and the NTPS would have to deal with that, but really this is about um, government um, provision for our elderly and for nursing homes yeah. over the course of years, you know? So it's it's a big thing, and I suppose they'd like it to kind of stay small, but really, this is a big issue, do you know? Yeah. You're involved in this because your mum is a resident. How is she? Is she aware of everything that's going on here? Um, my mum is part- somewhat aware of what's going on. Um, my mum's quite a young woman. Um, she's turning 70 this year, so she's she's one of the younger um, one of the younger residents at the home, though not the youngest. Um, and she's aware somewhat. And the real thing, I suppose, she thankfully, like myself and other other family members, we we're, we're limiting like the the details, I suppose, of um, facts and figures and bits and pieces that we share with our family members, so they're not distressed and. Thankfully, um, that's you know that we're keeping we're protecting them in that sense. But um, I do think that this whole situation, and she is somewhat aware, like I said, is unsettling. Um, she's only been in the home since January, and she was just really getting settled. And then there's this kind of like aware, like this somewhat bit of awareness around yeah. that there's something going on or something's happening is is unsettling. Honestly, yeah, it, it's taken her a few months to settle in. Is she comfortable there? She is comfortable and she's just, yeah, she, she's comfortable and she like she likes her space and the um, the staff are brilliant and there's lots of activities that she's getting involved in. And she comes, like, she lives quite, like, Bowman is quite close to the city, so she gets out regularly and um, sees her sisters and sees myself and everything. Yeah. And if, if it was the thing that her place was to be lost because of this, where might she go? That's a good question. I mean... There aren't beds like for all the all the um, the fifty three um, third year residents at Beaumont. There aren't beds in the locality for those residents, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know to answer you where that, she would go. Does yeah. that worry the family? Yeah, it's very worrying, and I mean, also like the the the, the closeness she is, let's say, in Beaumont is very, you know. Easily accessible. Yes, it means that both her sisters, who are, are older than her, are able to travel out to her with public transport and to visit and things. But like, if she's moved somewhere else, like it'll mean that she'll be a lot more isolated as well in terms of who can who can visit. You know. Did you get a call from from Mehol Martin after last week's uh, demonstrations? I I've received a call from Mehol Martin, but it was actually previous to any um, kind of press things that um, or well 
post maybe after the first um, demonstration at his office, yes. but um, before I'd done any press um, things, so I was quite surprised, and I could have caught me off guard um, by receiving a call from Tornister. Um, he called you himself, missed, did he? Yeah, I actually missed the call, and I rang up, and I was like, oh, I got a missed call from this number, who's this? <laughs> mm. So, um, yeah, but um, it was it was great to get a call from, from him, but there was no kind of uh, meaningful um, steps that could be taken. Same as Simon Coveney, the, the, the kind of suppose the party line, it was really just that it's kind of care choice. And he was saying he was disappointed with the way they've kind of gone about things. But that's convenient to say that when really it is, like I said before, a national issue. Yeah. And like I said, like there is actually, as of 2021, 80% of fair deal patients were in private nursing homes. Yes. So, that's a huge percentage. So they really do need to be Indeed. provided for, considering that. The specific minister involved is Mary Butler, and I don't think the families have too much faith in her at all. Yeah, I suppose we've received a few emails, um, and few, like selected, a select number of family members have received emails from Mary Butler's um, office and, and, uh, and I suppose Mary Butler herself, that... Um, it's just given kind of vague promises and are saying it's out of her hands, that it's the NTPS' responsibility. So we just think that we have to try and go above her and talk to the, to- um, mm. to the T-shirt himself. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are worried about your mum. She's exactly. your first and last priority here. Yeah. And yeah. And we're all very worried. Like, I mean, my mother's a young woman and, you know, in terms of um, the, the people that in the care home, but there's people in... They're like John's father in 99 who've been there years are very comfortable um, it's their home you know and people um, and our fam- family members are very worried like I said there's a lot of sleepless nights about yeah. where where are they going to go what's going to happen if this doesn't get sorted and like it has to be really we're going to we're going to keep at it anyway until we can get some sort of satisfaction is about the situation. Okay, Rosie, maybe we will speak again and then thank you for being with me today. Thanks very much, PJ. All the best. Cheers, cheers and good luck tomorrow at uh, Leinster House when they head up there to take their protest to the next level, hoping to meet the Taoiseach uh, or maybe even Stephen Donnelly or someone like that. Good luck with that, Rosie. On snowplough parenting, this wonderful new word that has come to me. Oh, that's, oh, she'll be on the phone. Great, she'll be on the phone in a minute. That's brilliant. Uh, back to scams. Uh, don't have time right now, I think, Eames. i got about one minute, so we might do it after. Um, I got a phone call some weeks back on scams. I got a scam. I told him, hold the line, and I'll get my bank details. Come back with a referee's whistle and let rip down the phone. I hope his ears are still ringing. We were talking, you'll be able to hear it on podcast later on. We chatted earlier with Angela Angela had a terrible experience with drink back in 2015. She practically drank herself to death. And she told me that story. And she hasn't had a drink since. And her health is much better. And life is good for her now. And her daughter has been on to say, PJ, my mom wasn't well back then. But she's turned a big corner and always made sure her kids were looked after and always fed. She has been through the wars. We're so lucky to have her here today. She is some woman for one woman and we all adore her. Thank you for that. And here's a just to finish out the hour John says the fishing has started again at the lock 
after a die-off in the last couple of years. I haven't seen it myself yet. What had gone on there before with the professional people coming along with tents and three or four rods is happening again. It means kids can't enjoy it. Elderly people find it difficult to navigate. That's an amenity for the public. These kind of professional setups shouldn't be allowed. Are those professional anglers, those tents with the three or four rods, are they back down at the lock? I'm going to disagree with John here. I always liked to see them there. Because they know what they're doing. Kind of thing. Back after news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Quartz 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Quartz 96 FM. Mary's been on the phone wondering about wheelchair access for Rod Stewart tomorrow night. Good question, Mary. I'm going to myself tonight. Looking forward to the gig immensely. We've been looking forward to it since it was announced in February. Normally, I think the marquee people are pretty good with regard to wheelchair access. Once you let them know, there is a good box office down there and it's well staffed with Aiken's people and and, and they generally will look after wheelchair access. I, I, I honestly don't know how you go about it. If anybody is listening who has gotten wheelchair access in the past to the marquee, you might let me know at uh, 0818969696. Patrick says, looking forward to Rod Stewart tonight. Thanks for the tickets. Oh, yeah, Patrick won tickets with us there a couple of weeks ago. And see you all in Besbra on Sunday. Yes, which gives me an opportunity, Patrick, to mention it. And by the end of the week, we'll probably do something a bit more substantial on it just to mark the fact that it is on again. The annual... Besborough commemoration is this coming Sunday, June 25th at 2 o'clock down at the Folly weather permitting. At the moment it looks as if the weather will be permitting. Sunday afternoon looks like a nice bright summer's afternoon. Showers in the morning and then a summery afternoon. So we will gather, as we always do, at the Folly in Besborough 2 o'clock Sunday to remember. That's what we do. We remember and we think about those who went through the place and those who didn't come out of it and those who have come back after many, many, many years and there will be a guest on Sunday I'll tell you more about her later in the week but she was a guest on this programme last November and she has never set foot inside the gates of Besborough since she left it as a little girl Um, and she will be making her first visit in many, many years on on Sunday as part of the uh, commemoration. Back to that. Before the end of the week, uh, 0818 96 96 96, on the fishing at the lock, uh, tents are set up on the green area, so they're no problem to anyone walking around, and you couldn't meet a nicer group of people always talking to young lads interested in fishing. Yeah, okay. Um, there's another one coming in there which I'll get to. On wheelchair access, AOS security are the people down there and they'll no problem. They'll sort out any wheelchair users. Thanks to AOS, Sasha. They're great. 
they've been doing they've been doing security on the marquee practically since the place was built uh, so that's good they'll, they'll take care um, <laughs> back to the fishing we're going all over the place here tell PJ before he gives his opinion imagine sitting in your living room seeing grown men urinating into trees and sometimes being quite exhibitionist or quite open about it okay I, I take it that sometimes it's not that nice Anyway, to the new word I discovered today. Um, a wonderful word. So, the kind of parent that makes sure that your child will never have to deal with anything that would make them upset or or make them worried or whatever. It's called snowplow parenting. That you literally go in front of them through life and you clear obstacles and clear problems and solve issues before they ever need to deal with them themselves. It's kind of the step up from helicopter parenting, where you're over their head, like a helicopter, solving everything for or with them as they go along. For them, rather than with them as they go along. You watch it. Helicopter parent, and then snowplow. Snowplow parenting, to me, seems absolutely crackers. But it it's the new thing. Sophie... Uh, you were thinking about Hi. it. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Good to talk to you. Uh, and you, and and I to was. you, snowplow parenting. To me, it sounds like an awfully silly way to raise children because they'll never be able to deal with anything on their own. Well, do you know what occurred to me? And do you know what the first thing and most important thing to say is that parenting is the maddest and most exciting and brilliant project I think any of us take and it is very difficult to get it right I always think you know people are so into this is the right way to do it this is the wrong way to do it it's so hard I I remember the night they were born Sophie like it was only yesterday and I remember lifting up my daughter and my son and I'm saying where's the instruction book yeah yeah (laughs) and realizing to my horror there wasn't one there wasn't any, and you know what? I have two beauties myself, and it, you know what? It's the best thing. Every day is a day of excitement and a day of terror and a day of everything else, and you feel more alive. The snowplow thing, one thing that really um, occurred to me when I was listening to you was, I think my two cents on this would be that parents, we need to focus on giving our children very good, what I would call nearly internal foundations. So in other words, that they're comfortable in their own shoes that they are, they like themselves as people, that they have internal strength, because all of this snowplow stuff is about trying to control external things that we can't control. So as soon as you fix one, another one will come. I call them grenades. Do you know what I mean? Things mm. that are just thrown at you that just come out of nowhere. We can't control those. What we can control is giving our kids that internal strength and resilience and liking themselves. And one of my favorite expressions, um, and I think the most important expression to say to our children is that we see them. And what I mean by that is when we say to our kids, I see you. So you actually see the child, who they are, strengths, weaknesses, warts, good things, bad things. So when they feel they've been seen, you can give them a foundation and build a relationship that they really have a place to go back to, to you as a parent when they need help. Mm. But they also know that they're okay and they're accepted and they're strong. So when this grenade comes out of nowhere, which it will, multiple different things will come up in their lives. They go back and they say, I'm okay. I'm comfortable in my shoes. And most importantly, I have a foundation of love 
behind mm. me over people that really know me. Because I think what a lot of kids do and sometimes parents do is look for this affirmation from outside, you know, constantly, you know, trying to be popular and do the right thing and fit in and all of that. And what happens is you don't get to know yourself when you do that. Mm. When you get to know yourself, the right people will come into your life and you'll be able to deal with things. And sometimes you'll have 100 friends and sometimes you'll have five doesn't matter. You're solid in your shoes. So you're able for those grenades when they come in. So this whole snow snowplow thing is trying to control the uncontrollables mm. instead of controlling what we can control, which is the internal foundations of our kids, giving them that strength and that love and that foundation to say, do you know what? Mad things will hit and some of them will be sad and some of them will be happy and some of them will be a challenge but you are solid in your own shoes. You know you're a good person. We know who you are. You know who you are. And you will be able to deal with it. Because none of us know what's coming down the line. Do you know what I mean? As I soon do. as you deal with one thing, it's five years down the road, something else hits. And the world is changing so fast, you know, with the social media stuff and all of that going on. They're like mini grenades hitting our kids all the time. Yeah. Stuff coming out of nowhere. We can't stop the internet. We can't stop social media. What we can do is make sure our kids love themselves and know they are loved for who they are, not who we want them to be, mm. who they are. Yeah. And, and they are seen. And also that there is nothing, nothing under the earthly moon that they can't bring to us. And right. if it's a problem, we'll solve it together. Not, together. not I'll solve it for you. Yeah. I'll equip you with the tools to solve it for yourself, hopefully. But if, yeah. if you're overwhelmed by it, we'll solve it together. Exactly. And the point of knowing and helping your kids know who they are and know they're loved for who they are is they don't feel that they have to try and be something or mum or dad, I'll be letting them down if I tell them about this problem. Because your mum or your dad know who you are and they know they're accepted. So you don't have to be fabulous in front of mum and dad all the time because guess what? None of us are. We all have our vulnerabilities and, you know, the ability to show that vulnerability to parents and for parents to be able to say, do you know what? I love you for exactly, you know, as we all are, the heaps that we are. Yeah. You know, we all try to muddle through and that parents show vulnerability as well. And to say, look, we're only we're only doing our best here. We haven't done this before. We're still vulnerable in a lot of ways. But you know what? We're together and yeah. together we're strong. Yeah. Um, so it's just that whole internal versus external. Stop focusing on trying to control the external. You can't do it. We can't keep up with it. We can't do it. Stop with the snow plowing and just focus on the internal of the child uh, to yeah. build that resilience. And then whatever hits, they'll be able to take it um, a little bit better, hopefully. I recalled That's a story of a man who rang me a few years ago saying that he never refused his daughter anything because the world would refuse her enough so she could always have someone who'd always say yes to her to which my response was but you're not teaching her what yeah. to do when someone says no yeah and mm -hmm. that no is okay yeah you know everything is looked on like it's a disaster if it's not so-called perfect and what's perfect yeah. You know, that no is okay, that being let down is okay. And it's actually an opportunity. I was listening to that man and I, I would tend to agree with him around the leaving cert. You know, Thanks. to say, if that was not a great exam for you, okay, what's the learnings of this? Um, yes, you put an awful lot of work in. I mean, I was a, a B player myself and I had to work hard to get every grade and it didn't come through on some of them. But every single time we didn't come through, it gave an opportunity somewhere else mm. to say, maybe that wasn't for me. 
or yeah. maybe I should take this again or whatever, not to look at things negatively and a disaster, but to say, oh, that's not what was expected. Now let's figure out another plan yeah, exactly. to get on top of so uh, it. just I, that flexibility. I know you always also wanted to talk to me about um, landlords and, and the difficulty with rogue or absentee landlords. You had sent us an, an email about it, this uh, referring to the group around UCC who who surveyed the areas and found a load of non-registered landlords around UCC and around the Mardike. What did you want to say there? It's become my pet peeve, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, Go on. I saw an article in The Independent yesterday saying again, oh, you know, um, the rent credit. Oh, the yeah. renters haven't come forward and got that 500 euro and why? And we put this money forward. And I just thought, will somebody join the dots on all of this? The reason the renters and tenants aren't putting in for the 500 euro credit, which obviously all of them want, is there's an awful lot of properties that they're renting that are not registered. And the only way you can get that 500 euro is to have the properties registered. And if you stand back a little bit, because what we do a lot is we look at a little tactical issue instead of looking at the bigger picture. Um, I'm a landlord myself. I'm one of these just bought one house and I have it in Dublin and I'm renting it and I'm doing my 52% blinking tax every year as a landlord. And I just thought if everybody who is a landlord registered themselves, paid an amount of tax, not the 52%, we'd still get the same revenue in. Yeah, The government would be happy. They get the revenue in. We maybe could go down to 20% tax because big agents like me who are paying their 52 to cover for all of the people that aren't paying tax, the landlords that aren't paying tax wouldn't have to pay so much. Mm. So we could pay 20% instead of 52%. We would have a registered base of rental properties. So we'd actually know the quantity of rental properties that are out there. Yeah. And most importantly, you wouldn't have the landlords running out of the market. Because yeah. if you look at it from a tenant's perspective, they'd have a registered property, so they'd have rights and they could complain about issues with their, their tenancy, etc. And they'd get their 500 euro. Yeah. From a landlord perspective, they potentially would have a reduced tax because the government wouldn't need to be doing the 52%. They could do the 20% that, if more landlords would blink and pay their tax. That's a win-win for everybody. The, the figure that came out the over the weekend... Sorry, Sophie, the slight delay there. The, 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 the number that came out over the weekend that I read was that about 400,000 people were eligible for this tax relief credit mm-hmm. and only about 230,000 have requested it, which is meaning to me that's just over half. So just under half of all those eligible people have not claimed. Could that be, could that be, Sophie, that just under half of all accommodation out there isn't properly registered? Well, that lady who had on around the UCC property, she was saying around 33% weren't registered. You had her on a couple of times or whatever. So you think about that. That's about 50% of the properties aren't registered. The reason the tenants and the governments and the policing on this, because I went to um, some of the politicians to raise it, and they raised a question in the Doyle, and they came back and said, the governments and policing on um, landlords having to register their properties is sitting with the RTB. So I said, well, that's great. So there's a process in place. So where are the numbers? Do we have RTB people checking with revenue, checking properties, et cetera, to find out where the landlords are that are not registered? Clearly not. No, we don't. 
there is a framework in place that they are meant, and there's an email that people are meant to go into. But think about it from a, a tenant's perspective. They raise to the RTB and say, my landlord isn't registered. And the landlord basically turns around to them and says, right, now I'm registered. I have to pay tax. By the way, I'm raising your rent 500 euro a month. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Now, you, now you know why the tenant isn't raising the issue. So we're in this black hole of people not joining dots, looking at the tenants, the government revenue that needs to come in and the landlord situation and not looking at it. And it's not getting any better and there's no answers coming out. And we're coming up to October again, where again, as landlords, we're having to pay 52% tax, knowing that probably 50% of the landlords in the country are taking cash. Yeah, there you go. Sophie, thank you for that excellent contribution on two topics in, in the one day, the, the landlords and indeed snowplough parenting, which is my new word for the day. Sophie, thanks. The, the sad thing about snowplowing your child, says this call, person doesn't want to be named, but that's fine. Sad thing about snowplowing your child is they'll resent and lose respect for you because they haven't the skills that they should have because you did everything for them. Hi, my wife, unfortunately, is both a snowplow and a helicopter. My child is highly intelligent and finds it hard to deal with situations when my wife isn't around. And it breaks my heart. But my wife says she can't help it and she can't stop. Yeah, because maybe she was raised that way. See? So she passes it on. Um, but yeah, your, your youngster struggles now when mommy isn't around to fix things or make things not happen. When mommy isn't around, then then... The young person struggles. You as dad could maybe step in and say, hang on, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. We. Not I, not me, not you. We. We'll deal with this. 0818 96 96 96. Is that a new word on the rest of you? Because it's really new on me. Yeah, we're coming back to uh, that question on security access, or sorry, wheelchair access for the marquee for Rod Stewart tonight and tomorrow night. AOS security will look after everything there on the door. They'll sort out wheelchair users. The same person rang back and wants to know about disabled parking. Well, parking this year for the marquee is, looks like a disaster. You go into Ticketmaster and you can buy a parking space. They're not allocated, just buy a parking space. I think it's 10 quid. By the time you pay the administration fee, it's a tenner for parking. And I don't drive to the marquee. I, I, I walk down, I, I walk out. I, I, the idea of parking there is just a nightmare to me. But I was coming out of Tommy Tiernan on Thursday and coming out of the Waterboys on Sunday. And on both occasions, the traffic jams out of the place. Sweetest, why anyone would. But... I would suggest as well going on to uh, Aiken Promotions and they will help out. If we can find any more out, we will certainly do that. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a follow-on from a story we did yesterday. Someone trying to find an old friend. We're back to it next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. I've got even more chances for you to get into the draw for Corks ninety six FM's week in Ibiza. Already, we've had excitement. Oh, oh, we've had some hardcore fun. I can hear the screaming in the background. 
this. And there's a lot more to come this week. You're listening out for your daily hit from the White Isle. Make sure you're with me every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home. With Independence Music and Arts Festival. Magic and memories at Indy 23. Tickets at independencefestival.com. Corks 96 FM. Now, yesterday, I spoke to Mary Keenan, previously Mary Duncan, and you're trying to trace an old friend that you trained as a nurse with back in St. James's in Dublin in the 70s. Mary, just go through it again for me, will you? Good morning again. Good morning to you, PJ, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm trying to trace Margaret Manning. That was her maiden name, and her married name is Hurley. And we knew her as Mags Manning. And uh, we believe, originally she was fan, um Ballyvillain. And uh, in the married in, since she got married, she's lived in Bishopstown, but she no longer, longer lives there anymore. Mm-hmm. She has two girls and a boy and worked in the Mercy Hospital in Cork. And, um, She'd have gone there uh, about 1976, correct? Yes, okay. approximately. Okay. And uh, it's 50 we were the, years since she trained together? Yes, we were the February 73 group in St. James's. Yeah. Um, that was the last time they took in a, a group in February. Yeah. Uh, after that, it was just two groups into the hospital. So we were famous for being the last February and, group and, in St. James's. And you were saying you tried everything and you were coming to us sort of to yes. see... as a last resort, yes. Well... Because uh, we believe uh, she is in the vicinity of Cork or maybe in a surrounding county, you know, maybe. We well, don't know. Well, well, now, I know that Emer told you that we had a lead. We had one or two calls that put, yes. pointed us in a different direction. Right. Yesterday. Right. Stay there a second. I will. Mags, Margaret. Oh, you. Hello. Oh, ye. It's great to hear ye. And it's great to hear Mary. Do you, oh. do you remember Mary? Before me, Mary. And, um, you know, all the country, all the counties around Ireland, all the different girls, it was just a fantastic um, to be having trained in James's in Dublin. It was lovely oh. to hear from you. Oh, it's lovely to hear you. Oh, I'm yeah. so d- thrilled. Right. <laughs> where where are you, Margaret? I'm in, I'm in Bishopstown. I worked in the Cork yes. University Hospital. And oh. um, every Christmas I used to ring Lily Duffy, Christmas Day, That's right. and Mairead Lennon, and um, Cameron Martin, you know, contacted. That's right. And yes. um, I always, you know, they were from Roscommon. Um, yeah. Every, all over the country in Wexford. And we had a most fantastic tutor, Miss Layden. I often think of her, and she's coming up to me recently. She just was abusive. And Miss Tierney. It was just a lovely place to train in James's. Really good. So, Mary, it's lovely that you've been um, reaching out to find me. Oh, gosh, we've tried everything, and we couldn't get you. Did did you oh. hear her yesterday, Margaret? Or no, I was out at the grassroots show in Corrie last night, and there was a phone call from a lady in the choir, Marie Murray, and she said that they were looking for me on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in trouble, so it was good. <laughs> and um, no, it was a lovely. Um, in oh. fact, I was um, 
you know, thinking of ringing Lily, all right, at Christmas, but, you know, how you just pass the day and you I don't know, know. keep the contact, yeah. but well, it's just... Um, Mary, Mary, tell her about the event that's coming up. Yes, we're all meeting in Dublin on the 4th of July. I can give you details of what, where we are. Okay. And uh, there are 16 of us now, which is fantastic. And um, we're so happy to find you because we were all giving up Lily and Mairead. Yeah. You remember Mairead Lennon? Lenny, yeah. we used to call her. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've all organised it. So we're all in contact and we've formed a group. And uh, I can give you details of that later. Lovely. <laughs> That's fantastic. When, when oh, was the last so time we're... you spoke to any of the gang, Mags? Should I say about maybe um, maybe ten years ago? But Carmen yeah. Martin contacted me on. Yeah. She's from Wexford. And, That's um, right. You know, to meet up. But we Carmel, were, we never the other day, day was we were in contact with each other. Yeah. And, I heard um, that, um, we were um, doing our detective work. Denied, you know, from um, Sligo. That's right. So I'm, delighted. Yeah. I'm hoping and Keegan and um, Jordy. Yes, she is. All of us. They've started the reunion already. This is fantastic. You know, that came to choose her. She was just, they were lovely. Yeah, eat a laden. So we've called ourselves Laden's Ladies. That's very nice. She was beautiful to us. Do you know? Do you know what we're going to do now to you both? We're going to give. We're going to. I'm going to hand you back out to the lads, and we'll put you in touch off the air. I'm so happy. This is great. I am PJ. I am so grateful. Honestly, we were going to miss uh, Mags because uh, we just needed to have a complete. Yeah. I'll try and talk a bit slower because they used to call me speedy from Cork because I used to speak so fast. <laughs> I, actually, I'm used to the Cork accent. One of my best friends is uh, that I worked with here in the community in Kildare uh, was from East Cork, from mm. y'all. Ah, very good. <laughs> there's a reunion starting already and there's going to be happy days and smiles and pictures and hugs, I would imagine, in... Uh, Dublin on the 4th of July. So Mary Keenan, formerly Duncan, we found your friend, girl. Oh, great. You're so good, PJ. Honestly. Put you both back onto the lads outside, Margaret. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that just lovely? She came to us thinking, what's going on? Where's my old pal? Last one, we can't find her for the reunion. And there she is. Margaret Hurley. Mags Manning of old. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. A week in Ibiza, staying at what hotel? Two more chances to qualify after 12 here on Cork's 96 FM. You can get Boojum, Lennox's McCurtain Street and Pompeii Pizza delivered for only 99 cents on Just Eat this month. Yes, you heard right. Cork's best, delivered for less. T's and C's apply. Participating restaurants only. Minimum order value 10 euros. See justeat.ie for more details. Did somebody say Just Eat? Um, hi, I'm at the Garda station, but it's nothing. I told this girl I was seeing for a while that I'd put shots of her up online. 
shots she sent me, so they're mine, really. I only said I'd do it, but the guards are saying that's a crime now. It's not my fault, Mum. I didn't do anything. I, I only said I would. Threatening to share intimate images is a crime with serious consequences. Contact your local guard the station if you need to report it. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Are your feet holding you back? At Foot Solutions, our foot wellness experts can give your feet the freedom they deserve with precision-tailored orthotics and high-quality footwear. Take the first step toward a happier, healthier life by booking a free appointment today at footsolutions.ie and free your feet. This coffee is incredible. It tastes like, like, really, really nice coffee. It keeps you on your toes, puts a pep in your step, wakes you up before you go-go. Enjoy the pick-me-up you're looking for with a fresh cup of Rosa coffee from your local Maxall. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call 96 FM. I don't want to get bogged down in a big, long, intricate discussion about NATO or anything like that. But you'll know because the papers are full of it. There's a discussion ongoing at the moment about neutrality. And the government is having a forum on defence in UCC. And the president landed himself in a bit of hot water over the weekend by by criticising um, certain elements of what's going on at the moment. And then in the doll last week, Michal Martin and was it Paul Murphy? Yes, Michal Martin and Paul Murphy laid into each other um, with Michal Martin using using terms. In fairness, he, I think he had to withdraw them afterwards. He, he accused the opposition of jackboot politics for daring to criticise this. The whole thing just got very salty and very colourful uh, over, over the weekend. I, I wonder how many people actually do care about the fact that we are militarily neutral in this country. There's another event going to happen, a sort of alternative forum organised by the Cork Neutrality League, and that's on tonight in the Imperial Hotel. Dominic, as I said, the whole thing got a bit salty in in the last few days, but I I kind of think, I would say most ordinary folk don't care. Morning. Good morning, PJ. I do think they care. Uh, Certainly when they're called upon to give their opinions for the polls, uh, a majority keeps saying that they want to retain neutrality. So at the very least, they're prepared to express that. I think actually, uh, while we've been campaigning in the Cork Neutrality League over the past year, particularly on the streets, just over the last weekend, giving out leaflets, we made a, a, a we, we, we heard a lot of positive comments about neutrality. People are actually surprisingly well informed, and uh, yeah, the polls keep showing that the majority of people continue to not only favour neutrality, they prize neutrality. They recognise that it's a, a, almost a unique position uh, for a country to hold. It's the best way to guarantee our safety since we're not in a position to militarily defend ourselves. Uh, but it also allows us to play, as they say, you know, a, a role way, uh, to box above our weight, as it were, uh, in international forums on the issues of war and conflicts and so on, because we bring that unique perspective where our priority is to seek peaceable resolution to conflict, not well, to stoke them up. Well, our peacekeepers are renowned as being among the best in the world at what they do, and, and, and that's internationally valued. So yeah. You, you, you would tie that into, into neutrality, but we're, we are militarily neutral, and yes, 
did we or did we not come right slap bang down on the side of Ukraine over the last 12 or 24 months? Well, um, I think there's something to be said for that because the invasion by Russia obviously is unacceptable. It's a breach of international law. The Ukrainians, of course, have a right to defend themselves uh, and they're putting up a fight you know, to the Russians. The difficulty, of course, is that NATO have stepped in and turned this into a kind of a proxy war. So now it's effectively Russia versus the West. And that is not something that the Irish should become enmeshed with. No, within. no, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't exactly my question. My question was, if we, if, we are so, if we hold ourselves so tight and bounded to neutrality, which, look, don't get me wrong, it's a good thing. We hold ourselves tightly to our neutrality. And yes, we did come down, slap bang on the side of Ukraine. If we were a truly neutral country, we shouldn't have done anything. Well, I disagree with that on two counts. Um, first of all, specifically with regard to Ukraine, to be neutral isn't to be indifferent to what's happening in the world. Necessarily, governments must form opinions and make statements, particularly when such an egregious breach of international rules uh, have been broken uh, by the Russians in this instance. Of course, the government must say, well, of course, Russia must withdraw, uh, and Ukraine has every but right to, that, to defend aren't itself. You, don't you cease to be neutral the minute you make a comment like that? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. The minute you, the minute you make a comment like that you cease to be neutral well i think obviously governments have to be guarded in their comments but the minute you cease to be neutral is when you start stoking up um, the war itself by supplying weapons in the way that the u.s has done now thankfully the irish government uh, uh, cognizant as it is of our policy of neutrality and as much as it doesn't like it nevertheless has realized that it was restrained and that it couldn't um, in, uh, begin to provide war material we don't so, have them as simple as well that. Yeah, but nevertheless, we, we haven't provided finance either to purchase war material because we are a neutral country. So we've made our position clear, which is that the Russians should withdraw from mm. Ukraine. The Ukrainians have the right to defend themselves. But one other thing I think should be said is that uh, uh, the policy of neutrality is an active policy. Yeah. The government simply can't announce that well, we're neutral and don't bother asking us for our opinion on everything. You have to actually go out and promote your neutrality and also resist the pressure to drop your neutrality. Unfortunately, mm. what's happened in the past year is that there has been been pressure brought to bear on the government. They've been accused of being freeloaders and the weak link within Europe. Yeah. And they, I, don't, they I didn't thought, see any accusations. That, would it not be the case that if we were to change our neutrality, if our if our position of neutrality were to change, it would have to be done through a referendum. So this doesn't interfere here, really. If the people are asked, the people will answer. Well, um, unfortunately, a referendum isn't required to change neutrality since there's no clause within the Constitution uh, declaring that we are neutral. The government has repeated during the past year that it's just a policy decision. They can change their policy any day they like. In fact, Michal Martin went as far as to say that we wouldn't Could we join need a NATO without a referendum? Well, Michal Martin said we wouldn't need a referendum to join NATO. And I think what's really happened is that the moment the war began... Do you think he wants to, Dominic? Uh, I do, yeah, and I think the moment Why? the war in, in Ukraine began, well, because I think that the uh, the ruling uh, parties in this country, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, particularly Fine Gael, um, believe um, themselves to be um, part of the Western alliance and that they, they owe something to the, the people that have uh, created the economic miracle 
uh, that is Ireland, we're talking about the US and the EU. And those people look askance at Ireland to the effect that, well, you know, you, you, you've benefited from your involvement in our economic structures, but you won't join our military structures. And so they're feeling that pressure. And um, I think they saw an opportunity during the past year to change things. Uh, and they announced a year ago that there would be a citizens' assembly on neutrality. This was going to be put up yeah. uh, for question. A year later, there is no citizens' assembly. There's a so-called consultative forum, which is a stitch-up, and now the government... How is it a stitch-up, though? Uh, well, it is, because the majority of speakers are pro-NATO. The, the programme has been cl- uh, closely examined. There are 11 pro-neutrality activist groups in the country. Only one was asked to send a representative. There's a forum taking place in Cork on Thursday, the government's forum, at which we will be protesting at 8 o'clock in the morning. But we weren't invited to um, go into the forum to give our views as the Cork Neutrality League. So the government thought it would make... Um, deep inroads into the policy of neutrality, maybe going as far as ditching it, but there's been such resistance and the polls continue to support neutrality and in the door the deputies have spoken up and as you say got into uh, a row with me all marting over this and most obviously President Michael D. Higgins has stepped up to say there's been a terrible drift mm. away from Martin. Now he did have to pull back a little bit. He did have to pull back a little bit on some things he said about... Well, only on the specific issue of his criticism of Dame Louise Richardson because obviously he objected to the idea that a, a forum on uh, Irish security should be chaired and its report written by someone who is mm. uh, ensconced within the British establishment as a Dame of the British Empire. Michael has, a, Michael has a question here. Look, it's, it's a rhetorical question and a, and a hypothetical question, but what would we do if Russia appeared in Cork Harbour and tried to snatch control? What would you suggest we do then? Well, uh, I guess Michael has to answer that question because clearly if Russia, you know, once it managed to get itself out of Ukraine in one piece, then sailed um, up, up the, into Cork Harbour, uh, I guess there's nothing we could do. And, you know, I mean, that's why... We had this policy of neutrality as a way of saying we're too small to defend ourselves militarily, but, you know, we, we do not side with belligerents when wars break out. Something else on that basis, yeah. you should leave us alone. I mean, so, that's how Switzerland operates. That's how Austria operates. Yeah. Malta. Correct. Switzerland, Austria, Malta, you're right about all those, and we still have a policy of military neutrality. But you know what else cares nothing about neutrality is radiation. A good point. And, you know, uh, that's why the Irish government really should have spent the past year trying to argue for the war to end, because obviously there's a danger that it will go nuclear. We still don't know what the outcome will be. And instead, it spent the, the past year basically standing with NATO, standing with the Americans, supporting this proxy war against the Russians, regardless, indifferent, mm-hmm. it seems, to the, to the threat of nuclear, um, prolifer- uh, well, nuclear destruction that might ensue. Dominic, thank you. It's an interesting conversation. I personally don't lose five minutes sleep ever worrying about neutrality because I believe, and have done ever since I was a small boy, atomic bombs don't know the first thing about neutrality or care even less about it. So if there is a bomb and if there is a a nuclear war, then we're goosed neutral or not. But that's just me and you're happy or you're welcome to take me on. Lastly, for a laugh, Pat, you scammed a scammer. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I was listening to an article earlier on with the lady who was on about the scammers. And I basically, back in the day, uh, had a phone call one day from someone telling me that my Microsoft computer had a problem. And my wife answered the phone at the time, and when she heard that, she passed the phone to me. And this chap came on and he said, uh, I'm looking for Mr. Brown. And... Uh, 
I said, oh, yeah, you're speaking, speaking, which is not my name, by the way. I don't touch, yeah. Right. And um, I suppose the way they won that is, is there's a 50-50 chance you'll either correct them or they could be talking to the name they're using. So it went on anyway, and it was a turn on my computer and go to this link and go to that link. And I said, yeah, I'm coming on, but I'm not seeing anything. Because, you know, actually pure clown. And I ended up keeping the guy on the phone for 45 minutes. <laughs> All right. Right? And at the end of the 45 minutes, I can't remember the guy just get fed up. My wife said, come on, you know, enough is enough or whatever. And I turned around and I pretended to be talking to someone beside me. And I said, did you get all that, Jim? And uh, the guy on the phone said, who are you talking to? Oh, I said, uh, my buddy, Jim. Jim who? Jim Browning. And they absolutely freaked out at the other end of the phone. Because Jim Browning actually is a scam exposer. He's on, <laughs> he's on YouTube. He's been, he's been known to back hack and hack into their call centers and everything. Oh, uh, take, con- take control of their cameras. <laughs> and uh, I turned around anyway and I said, listen, I said, by the way, I said, I don't use Windows. I haven't used Windows, I said, since I learned about Linux. I only use Linux. So anyway... They hang up. They hang up after a feed of abuse down the phone to me. Right. And I was. What really gave me the giggle was when you said treat all communications as a scam, yeah. right? Because about an hour later, I got a phone call, and to be honest with you, I can't remember now. Was it telecom, gas, or electricity? And they were going to offer me a great deal and so forth. And again, I took the phone and I said, <laughs> "Yeah." And I made no bones about it, and in the most vile language you could imagine, I let fly down the phone. Right? And you were wrong. It was a genuine call. <laughs> but in fairness, the guy who made the call turned around when I eventually stopped my rank, and he said, look, he said, allow me, he said, to prove to you that I'm not a scammer. Or, right, that it is a genuine call from whichever one of the agencies it was. And he was able to tell me stuff that, you know, a scammer could not possibly yeah. have even known. And right? did, did he do you a deal in the end? He did me a great deal in the end, yeah. I remember, but I can't remember. But he turned around and he said, believe it or believe it not, he said, he said, I wasn't the first person and he didn't expect I would be the last person to assume that he was a scammer ringing up. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, uh, there's so much of it out there, Pat. You know, I I I feel sorry for the genuine people who are making genuine sales calls because they they, they tend to get hung up on and, sw- and sworn at. But that's a good one, and some of them are genuine. But treat everybody as a as a scammer first time out, and you'll hardly ever be wrong, and you'll only sometimes be wrong. Pat, thank you for that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. What do you do if Russia targets our undersea cables? Asks Kevin. Connecting us and our economy to the world, we're also the target of cyber attacks. That's, yeah. I'm proud of our neutrality as Shona. Very important. This non-elected government is a joke. Look at what they're doing. Ukraine, nothing to do with us, says Shona. He's saying, saying we shouldn't have had people in from Ukraine, Shona, but that's a point that's made. Tom says our history has been one of non-belligerence rather than real neutrality. Think back to World War II when Allied servicemen were sent to the border. 
At another point, our engagement with NATO is governed by the McBride principles. Too late to be explaining them. Which has more to do with the Northern Ireland than anything else. And we leave the last word on that for today with Tom. Except Kevin is delighted that we were able to reunite uh, Mags and Mary after all those years, which was lovely. Right, that's it. I think we're done. We are programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.